That's all I had. <laughs> hey there, folks. It's the Uticast, episode 189. And this week, we are joined by uh, Observer Dispatch uh, political reporter and journalist Samantha Madison. Had a great conversation talking about a wide variety of things. Uh, journalism in America in the current uh, time and place. All sorts of wild stuff. Great conversation. Also this week, we're getting ready for the Super Bowl, which by the time you hear this will already be over. So we try to limit that. Also talk about New York State uh, legalized gambling, uh, Mitch McConnell, Apple's new gaming software, new gaming stream system, uh, Starbucks history lessons, Frankenstein the series, The Stand, uh, and a definitive, definitive ranking of dips, of party dips. All that, folks, and so much more. We are happy, as always, to have you here. Oh, yes. Once again, Kevin, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I was talking to our guest this week about this a little earlier. Uh, this week we have a political uh, correspondent for the Observer Dispatch, Samantha Madison, who had a great conversation with us. But it's uh, we're recording this before the Super Bowl starts, and by the time you hear it, the Super Bowl will be over because it's on Sunday. So I don't want to spend too long talking about uh, the Super Bowl. Fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say... Uh, there are a few talking points that people are discussing about the Super Bowl, though. Uh, particularly Maroon 5 as the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, Heather, do you have any thoughts about Maroon 5 no. as the Super Bowl I halftime I don't really care for guest? them. So. Kev, what about your thoughts about Maroon 5? Anybody who pretends to have an opinion is a liar. Really? When it comes, yeah, Maroon, nobody cares. Nobody I cares. Do. They will do a fine and serviceable job mm. and play many songs that people know and maybe bring out some guests. Production value will be great and nobody will care. I'll say this. And it, maybe I'm just out of touch with what's popular. It seems like the people who perform at uh, the Super Bowl historically have been a higher caliber of performer in terms of notoriety. I guess maybe I'm underselling how many people know Maroon 5. 100%. Yeah. Maroon 5 has had, I mean, over the last five years, they've had, like, colossal singles. Every year they've got one of the like top five biggest songs of the year. I agree they're not, but the Super Bowl guest is rarely exciting. Well, because I think, like, in the past, they have, like, the Rolling Stones, like, Paul McCartney and, like, Prince, and even, like, Lady Gaga, to a certain extent, is, like, a bigger star than, like, Maroon 5, yeah, I feel Jackson. like. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that this doesn't seem like that, so right? That. Yeah, it feels a little mad. Maybe, again, I could just be out of touch with how people Maybe feel about old. Maroon 5. <laughs> Uh, I will be excited if they play something like from the old Maroon Five albums. Like if they play, well, they like, definitely uh, will. There's no question. What to this day? What do you think is the biggest Maroon Five song still? Is it like uh, "She Will Be Loved"? That's is that exactly still? what I just thought none of that. Brain. That stuff's long gone. From, long gone. That's yeah. the first yeah. time. Like, That's the stuff. I don't know the names of a lot of the songs, but they have because like every year they have all these like pop hits. They're one of those yeah. bands who did that thing that went from being like we're a band. To, like, we've got these pop songs with this singer, but we'll call mm-hmm. it a band. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they've had songs that are huge. Like, that Moves Like Jagger song was colossal. Oh, yeah. Moves Like Jagger. Yeah. And they've had a lot of songs like that since then yeah. that, like, mm-hmm. people don't really think about unless you pay attention to, like, pop music, which I don't think any of us do all that sure. much. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think growing up, one of the things people used to say about the Super Bowl is like, if you don't like watching it for the game, you can watch it for the commercials. I also think that's an argument that is no longer valid because a lot of times they just release these commercials directly to like YouTube and the internet it now used beforehand. To be that. You couldn't wait to watch the commercials. It was exciting, you right watch there. Football, you you went to watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. Yeah, <laughs> because back then a thirty-second to sixty-second funny video clip was like a rarity. Yeah, I know. I'm overrunning. Think about it though. I mean, now I see more funny stuff on Twitter on a two. Tuesday yes. in June, <laughs> then I'll see, uh, you know what I mean, then I'll like some dried up commercials. <laughs> um, so, since uh, it's not going to matter what we say since it'll be over, who do you guys think is going to win the Super Bowl? Of course the Patriots are going to win. Of course the Patriots. I'm going to go with the Rams just because I want to be the opposite. I love it. I hope yeah. the Rams win. So. Yeah. Because it, I don't like when the Patriots win. I'll give you one piece of my sports take on this real quickly. A lot of times when the Super Bowl comes up, especially lately when the Patriots have been in it, it seems like journalists and like pundits are looking for a reason to be like, this is the end. The Patriots have no chance. This is the year they're going to come up against it. Doesn't seem to be a lot of that this year. Like everyone who Just I've talked to is like, yeah, the Patriots are going to win again. It's, it. it's not a question. It feels inevitable in a way that is disconcerting for me being able to enjoy watching it <laughs> as a, I wouldn't call myself a neutral, but I don't really care about either of these teams one way or the other. Uh, that being said, I'm also assuming the Patriots will just win. That's it. Let's move on from the Super Bowl, shall we? Uh, Heather, you're here early on a Sunday. I know. I got done skiing early, so. Where'd you go skiing this week? Where was your ski trip? Old Forge. Old Forge. Yeah. Did you just go to the same ski no, place? No, I went to oh. Snow Ridge yesterday. <laughs> I went to Snow Ridge yesterday, so I, go, I changed it up a little. Very good. Very good. I'm glad you, you came to I hang know. out with us. Uh, I also want to shout out one of our longtime GFOPs. Uh, and uh, listeners, Mark Simon, whose birthday is tonight. So, happy birthday. Happy birthday. To Mark Simon. Uh, can I talk to you guys about a movie really quickly? That's good. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear. I watched a movie this week, and I did one of those things where it's not a new movie, but I've been sort of holding off on watching it for a long time, and I finally watched it, and now I have a hot take about it. That's new enough. Is oh, it new wait, enough? What, what it came that? out last year. I watched this movie called Annihilation with Natalie Portman. It's oh like a science fiction style movie. Uh, and I won't get into the plot necessarily. I won't spoil it for you. It's on it's on Amazon Prime if you want to go watch it. I have to say, it's very rare that I've watched a movie where I've continued to think about it a couple days later. And I've had a lot of opinions about this movie one way or the other. It's not a great movie. It's not perfect, but it's... It's stuck in my mind. It's very singular, and it makes me sort of um, it makes me sort of nostalgic for the days when like a movie like this would have got a longer run in the theaters. Because this seems to me, while I'm watching it, like the kind of movie that people would it would went to the theaters. It would have got mixed reactions. People would some people would really liked it. Some people would have hated it. It probably would have died in the theater, and then years later, people would re- revisit this movie and be like, actually, you know what? This movie didn't get a fair shake. That's what I felt like when I was watching this movie. So if you like science fiction movies, and you want something that's a little... I wouldn't call it a challenging watch, but it's its strange. Uh, I thought it was an interesting movie to watch, so that's my movie pick of the week, is Annihilation, starring Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac. So mm, there you go. Movie pick of the week. Movie pick of the week. Let's start doing a movie pick of the oh. week. Yeah, yeah. So, no, nobody wants to hear what I watch. So. Well, what'd you watch? You watch no. some kids movie? Like the Backyardigans and shit. <laughs> no. Kind of wild stuff. No, I didn't. I watched Lethal Weapon 2. Lethal Weapon 2? I like watching movies that are completely mindless after Kaz goes to bed. That makes total that sense. I can just kind of go in and out of because I'm probably going to fall asleep halfway through it. Mm. So those are... 
Why'd you pick number two as opposed to like the it was, first one? It was, it was the first movie they showed on Hulu. I was like, well, I guess I'll watch this one. I've seen them all. Uh, all right. Have you had any movies before I dig into news this week since we're talking about movies now? <laughs> um, I, you know, it's funny because I feel like I watched a movie uh, not too long ago, like this week. Can't remember it, so it must not have been great. <laughs> or I feel like maybe I, I feel like I like rewatched a movie. Like an old movie that I'd seen a long time ago. I put on Same as Heather for like sort of background noise yeah. to like... Well, I was like reading and like dicking around on my phone while I was waiting to go to sleep. And the movie put something on that I can half pay attention yeah. to. Um, everybody should just go watch the movie Game Night. Oh, everybody like should go watch Game Night. It's on H. I know it's streaming on HBO. Um, go watch that. I didn't watch it this week, but go watch that. Can I give you a it's a, a treat a suggestion? And again, take this with a grain of salt because I got this suggestion from GFOP Justin Parkinson. He watched a movie on HBO yesterday called Tag with Jeremy Renner yeah, and Ed yeah, Helms. Yeah, yeah. He said that was really funny, actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious to go watch it now. Download the app again. The HBO, yeah, gotta download the app. Again. Uh, all right, so let's get into this week's uh, news. I actually don't have a ton. I only like four stories this week, um, and one of them sort of ties into the Super Bowl, I guess. Uh, came out earlier this week that New York City, uh, New York State casinos could offer sports betting in New York State as early as April of 2019. Uh, I mean, I don't have any money to gamble, but do you have any uh, thoughts about making gambling legal in New York State? You don't seem offended by it either one, one way or the other. I don't affect my life in any way, shape, or form, so no, I don't. Yeah, man, go for it. Listen, if you can gamble on blackjack and poker at the casino... And if you can gamble on scratch-off mm. tickets, then you should be able to mm. develop a relationship with a bookie and place some bets on sports. Now, this is saying it's only at casinos, so I'm I don't sure. assume yeah, I don't that think it's... they're legalizing people's, <laughs> walking people's around. uncle over at Paul's Pub on a Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be that's where I'm more interested in it. When that's right, right, the, yeah, right. right. You want the risk of like you know if you can't pay your money, somebody's coming for it. Yeah, 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 I want a little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Also this week, uh, I don't have a ton of political stuff, at least no Trump stuff this week. I do want to ask you guys uh, your opinion about Mitch McConnell caught a lot of flack this week for going on a rant about how uh, making Election Day a holiday is a power grab for the Democrats. Uh, And that basically implying that the more people who are allowed to vote, the worse it is for Republicans. Uh, What were your thoughts about... Yeah. (laughs) What were your thoughts about Mitch McConnell's sort of uh, failed attempt to present National Election Day as a Democratic power grab? I don't don't even think it's a failed attempt because he's not saying that in good faith trying to trick anybody. Mitch McConnell knows exactly what he's doing. Um, Trump gets all the hot air because he's the easy, easy guy to point at, but... Mitch McConnell's the most evil person in our mm-hmm. government over the course of the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years probably. Um, this will be a clumsy analogy because I'm not much of a Star Wars guy, but I think this holds up. If Donald Trump is Darth Vader, then Mitch McConnell is like the, the emperor. The, emperor. Mm-hmm. the guy like the guy behind the guy, the true evil, who doesn't even get out there and put his face out because mm-hmm. he's too ugly to be seen in public. There was uh, a, he's the worst. That's great. He's <laughs> the worst. Here's a good quote I heard about so this. Ugly. Uh, it was uh, this is from the Huffington Post. Terrible. This is from the Huffington Post article about this, uh, which I want to get into that in a second too. Mm-hmm. Um, Only Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans could manipulate something as benign and well-intentioned as making Election Day a holiday into a vast left-wing conspiracy. I thought that was an interesting sort of uh, TDLR quote for this whole article. I don't have any piece about it, but I talked about it a little bit with Sam Madison today. Do you notice how many like of these like 
internet and like digital like uh, platforms have been letting people go over the last like three weeks, like Huffington Post I and no, like, I all of these. Like, oh my god, yeah, it was like uh, Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, uh, Gannett Publications, and Vice all released at least like five to ten percent of their staff. Over it the makes last. makes sense. It's just not sustainable. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, I don't want to get too caught up in that because me and Samantha will talk about it. But I do think it's. It was it, it was a weird chain of events when like BuzzFeed news put uh, news put out that article about uh, President Trump and Michael Cohen. Yeah, so much. Stuff. And it got so much traction. Then within like a week, they're like, "We're letting go of, like fifteen percent of our staff," which is very strange. The whole timing of everything. The way I don't it know that the two have anything to do with each other. They're not. If everybody else no, did, no, no. I don't think they are. I just think it all. was. I just thought it was very strange to go from one end of the spectrum to the other really quickly it's like that. Something that's just hap- coincidental yeah. happened. Yeah, it was just a coincidence <laughs> in that way. But all right, uh, let me move on to something else. Um, so Apple has announced this week they're going to launch a Netflix-style platform for games where uh, users can pay a monthly fee to access a huge library of video games. Brilliant. Brilliant. You like this idea. Uh, since Apple's going to do it, I assume it's not going to be efficient or work and somebody will come along and do it better afterwards. Great point. Well, no, simple. Like, <laughs> no, honestly. Because like, who, nobody, who, who uses Apple Music if they have a choice not otherwise? Anymore. Great you point. You know what I mean? I who don't. uses Apple TV if they have a choice otherwise? Right. A lot of, they do a lot of stuff with that where they'll be first to market, but they'll try to make it too exclusive to them and make it too inaccessible to people outside of the ecosystem. And so somebody will come along, simplify it, but it's a great idea. Mm. Great idea. Uh, I've thought about it in the past as a guy who I like to play video games, but I also don't like to spend sixty dollars on a video game you all the like time. You like to play video games with a low level of investment. Yes, yeah, low yeah. level investment. So the idea of like sort of the ability to rent a game digitally and play it till I'm done and then trade it out for something else is appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, years ago there did exist something like this. It was called GameFly. It was sort of like Netflix for video games. Yeah, I remember. And it didn't last. And I wonder if that's because it was like a little bit too ahead of its time in terms of streaming, because it wasn't. It was like were they did they stream on that though? I think no. I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure GameFly was like early Netflix where they were mailing, mailing you stuff, mailing compact yeah. discs to your home. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the key with this would be what kind of games are you talking about? Are you talking like Angry Bird, like cell phone, like short style games, or sure all I... of them? Or yeah, can that's I, a good idea. Yeah, that's yeah. what they should do because then if we had that at the house, like I might pop it on to play Angry Birds on the TV. Sure. Whereas you might pop it on to play like you know Fallout Baseball. Rainbow Six. <laughs> yeah. Las Vegas. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Six. <laughs> uh, all right. So yeah, there we go. I think that's pretty good. And then um, so again, something I don't want to step too much on because I'm going to talk about it in the interview with Samantha. There's been a lot of people who have come out uh, saying they're going to uh, run for president in 2020 on the Democratic side. There's been a lot of people already. I can't even keep up with them. I, feel I like. can't keep a lot. There's a lot of folks. One of those people who didn't come out is going to run as independent was uh, former uh, Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Uh, and it's not been a great run up to the uh, to his announcement so far. But I thought this was an interesting uh, article I read. Uh, apparently. Uh, Starbucks employees, even though he's no longer there, are getting um, are getting stock answers given to them, like, scripted answers for how they're supposed to respond to customers if they ask about Howard Schultz in the store. Oh, can I hear one? You want to hear some of them? Hear <laughs> All right. So here we go. If a customer asks if we are selling Howard's book at Starbucks, no, the books are available at bookstores online. If a customer attempts to investigate or share aggressive political opinions, attempt to defuse the situation by sharing, quote, we respect everyone's opinion. Our goal is simply to create a warm and welcoming space where we can all gather as a community over great coffee. <laughs> That's the quote they want you to hit with. And then if you're asked about his political intentions, the answer is supposed to be his future plans are up to him. 
So now I'm really curious to drive to a Starbucks somewhere and ask all of these questions and see if I'll get oh, this shit. sort of response. It'll be 50-50. You think so? uh, with, yeah, with any corporate restaurant or something <coughs> like this. Um, it's not... It, the Howard Schultz thing uh, specifically is... I don't think... He's not a serious contender at all. He's being no. knocked down by everybody. Um, it's disappointing to see the media making the same mistake they made with Trump yep. by giving him life and all this coverage. Yep. Giving right. all this coverage yeah. and talking about him when like he's not... a. In no way, shape, or form is he like a real yeah. thing. He's, he's a clown. But when it comes to the Starbucks thing specifically, I worked at a corporate restaurant one time that was going through um, whatever the bankruptcy you declare when you're just restructuring. The chapter. You're not closing yeah, like chapter yeah. like eight or yeah. seven or something. Whatever one it is where you're just restructuring and reconfiguring yeah, your yeah. company. And they handed down talking points because it is mm-hmm. realistic to think that your customers, when your company's in the news, it's realistic to think your customers are going to come in and for the people that you hire, you got some random 22-year-old waiter or some random 19-year-old barista out there like, I don't know, man, this is crazy, you're talking wild. You do have to give them an idea of what messages you would want them to convey to your customer base. So on Starbucks' part, I think that's pretty pretty spot-on move that you would kind of have to make in the situation. Because who knows what they would say to make it look bad. You know what I mean? And you've got to just be able to give them an answer. And and all those answers are very deflective and like, hey, man, we're not, you know, we're just having coffee, like, sit down. (laughs) Yeah, we're never... All right, so that's pretty good. Let's uh, let's go to this week's uh, interview. It was really nice to sit down and talk to uh, Observer Dispatch state and federal politics uh, reporter Samantha Madison. We had a really long... Samantha Madison is great. She's one of the best that they've got over there. She was oh, yeah. always very helpful to me in my time at the brewery and always very invested in the community. So a nice asset to have working for the local paper. Yeah, I had a really nice time talking to her. She had a really interesting uh, path from where yeah. she started to how she got to the Observer Dispatch. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. Uh, really great conversation. You can follow her on Twitter as well if you want to follow political discourse around here. She does a pretty nice job at OD underscore Madison on Twitter. Uh, so let's get to this week's interview with Sam. Uh, Sam interviewing Sam. We'll be back in just a moment. Tell you, I've never really. I talk. I feel like every episode now, I'm talking about the cat for a minute. But first time I've had a cat like in my life is a mm-hmm. cat that's chosen me as its owner. This one got real needy all of a sudden. Huh. Suddenly, now that it's cold out, he's very bored well, and it, very needy. Is he? I mean, I'm assuming he's an inside cat. No, no, no. That's why I think really? he's going okay. stir crazy. Because okay. Because <laughs> we have outside cats that I grew up with. Like yeah. I grew up with cats, but I'm allergic to them. It's crazy. That's a pain. Yeah. I didn't notice until I left home. Sure. And then I came home from college one time, and I was like, what is happening? Like, why <laughs> Why am I dying? And it was because I was allergic to cats. I grew up with dogs, and I was always under the impression that dogs were way better than cats because dogs were friendly, and they sort of right. like being around you. And now that I get older, I like I kind of like that a cat is self-sufficient, and I don't have to, like, I come home, and I'm like, Charlie, I'm home. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool, good for you. You <laughs> made it. Yeah, I'm going back to bed. <laughs> Uh, I want I'm a fish girl. Uh, fish, oh, that's a good one. They're low maintenance. <laughs> uh, so I have to say, 
And Samantha Madison, you are the, I think your, your official title I saw on your Twitter was the state and federal politics reporter as well as reporter for Griffiths and Rome. That's correct. The I, I recently picked up Utica. And, oh, so you're all over the place now. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for joining us here. And I want to get this out of the way right off the bat because this is one of those things that happens in podcasting where we're recording on a Sunday afternoon. Tonight will be the Super Bowl. Uh, but after this, by the time this show gets released, the Super Bowl will be over. So I'm going to ask you right off the bat right now, you put in your OD Super Bowl picks that the Patriots would win 37-25. to 25. You called Tom Brady the GOAT, you said. Are you a big Patriots fan? Um, so I'm a New Englander, so you yeah, kind of yeah. need to be a Patriots fan to be allowed back in New England. Sure, um, sure. So I don't really watch football. Um, mm-hmm. I had to go to a score generator online to figure out what a football score could be. Sure. Because sure. I don't watch football. Yeah, that's pretty realistic. That's close-ish. 25 is a weird number. There is a website that if you click it, it gives that's you random numbers that could be a football score so i was like done that one sounds decent Uh, we're going with it i've seen a lot of uh, memes on twitter and reddit and over the uh, social media over the last few days which is a lot of people just like eyebrow raising a lot of like wow you're actually going to talk to me about the football game during the super bowl (laughs) like it seems like and one of my kids uh, i had to go to an event because i work with kids uh we went to a walk on saturday okay and one of the kids was asking me he's like um he's just like why he's like He's like, why do so many people watch the Super Bowl? Like, why do people care? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Do That's a just, really good question. It's a great question. Like, as a kid growing up, I always expected the Super Bowl would be the biggest event of the year all the time for, like, television and sports, the highest rated thing. And now as I get, like, to, like, in my early 30s, I'm like, I wonder, I don't even really care about this game. Yeah, I work tonight during yeah, the I, Super Bowl, so, like, I'm not even going to be watching it. When I was I'm going to be mad I'm missing the commercials and yeah. I don't even care about the halftime show this year because it's Maroon 5 and they're terrible. Are you not impressed with Maroon no. 5? No. Oh, but I heard they're going to perform a song from Spongebob. That's the big... You know, like, that's where we are in 2019. Maroon what 5. What is wrong with the world? I would like... I wish they would go back to, like, the old, like, 90s and 80s Super Bowl shows, which didn't have, like, celebrities per se, but, like, it had a theme. It's like, this year's theme... Reading rocks! And they do, like, a whole thing where, like, there'd be dancers and a present day. That was a different era. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to get that in because by the time people hear this, the uh, Super Bowl right. will be long over. I mean, I've gotten a lot of hate for, you know, being a Patriots fan in New York. I get a lot of hate for being a Boston sports fan in general in New York. So. Justin Parkinson, who runs Made in Utica, um, mm-hmm. he's a big-time Red Sox Patriots fan, so he's in his glory uh, he's very excited. He's rubbing it into all of us. I'm like a Bills fan, so I have to give it up a couple uh, well, years ago. Yeah, you probably just shouldn't watch. <laughs> uh, Sam, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. It always throws me off when someone has my name, but I'm just going to go with it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I grew up being Sam M. Sam M. Because there was always other Sams. Always. There were not other Sams when I was growing up. How? I was, I How did you manage know. that? I don't know. Utica was not loaded with Sam. Everybody was Sams. named Sam. There's a lot of Sams in my family. In the Famalaros, there's a bunch of Sal's okay. and Sam Famalaros. They all kind of overlap. But uh, I didn't know a whole bunch of other Sams growing up who weren't uh, girls. There were definitely no other male Sams growing up. There weren't any male Sams until I got to high school. But there mm. was like a Sam M, a Sam Z, a Sam S, a Sam... Like the, we, we all had to like pick if you were going to be Sam or Samantha. And we all wanted to be Sam because why would you want to be Samantha? <laughs> well, I get this all the time. We'll have the Sam conversation right now. Get it out of the way. I'm actually not Samuel. That throws off a lot of people. I'm just... Sam, I'm not, All right. I'm not Jewish, I'm Middle Eastern and Italian, <laughs> so I'm named after my father's nickname. My dad is okay. also Sam, but his full name is Salvatore. For whatever reason, they don't Why call him Sam. Why is that Sam? I don't know. Okay. All I right. never understood that, but my dad was Salvatore, they called him <clears throat> Sam, 
so when my mom had me and they, my dad wanted to have a kid named after himself, she goes, I hate the name Salvatore, <laughs> but we can name him Sam. So that's why I'm not Samuel or for some longer okay. extension of that. So there you go. Uh, but it does always throw me off. But it's a it's a pleasure to have you here. And I have a lot of uh, political stuff to talk about with Uh-oh. you. A lot of politics. <laughs> well, because you tend to, it seems like you tend to run in a lot of the same similar political circles of some of the folks who've been on this show. You were just at... Uh, Joe Marino's, uh, you were at the announcement for him saying he's yep. going to go out for mayor. Uh, you covered Brindisi, again, a good friend of mine from the, the show. And it seems like you do some work at Utica College, so you've probably run across my GFOP Luke Perry over there. He's another... Yes, I have interviewed him before. <laughs> and great he, guy. he and I are on Twitter all the time talking yeah. and retweeting stuff. And <laughs> So there's a lot I want to talk about with that. But first, all right. uh, I want to get to uh, where you sort of come from, your background a little bit. I did my, even though I'm not a professional journalist who works at a newspaper like yourself... I did my professional journalistic research by right. going through your Facebook page <laughs> and Twitter. That's one way to do yeah, it. To do it. Um, you didn't hit LinkedIn because that's I, where like the real stuff is. Can I see, my LinkedIn profile is so old that I think it still says I work at Carmine's in New York City, like waiting tables. Oh, so wow. if you need All someone right. to help wait tables, I'm your Apparently guy. Apparently you're uh, the guy. All right. Um, so you are initially from, I could have had, I could get this wrong already so you can see what kind of reporter I am. You are initially from Lebanon, New Hampshire. That's correct. And that's a city of 13,151. You really did the I research. Did research. Because <laughs> I don't even know that. But, uh, so, and, and, okay, I got two questions initially for that. One, sort of a pretty small size. Utica's for, you know, we talked, Utica's about 60-ish thousand. So you're talking considerably smaller than where you are currently. Mm-hmm. What was that like sort of growing up in a, was it smaller and more tight-knit? Did you have more freedom or were you more sort of like structured because of it, do you think? Um, so my parents were relatively strict growing up they wanted their kids to be well behaved and Mm -hmm. you know they required us to be decent kids um so they were they were you know they expected good grades they expected you know us to not be out you know smoking whatever on the corner and drinking in the field yeah yeah you know there was none of that we were all we were all you know well behaved (laughs) because they had expectations for us um but also when you grow up in a community that small Everybody knows everybody. So if you're seen doing something you shouldn't be doing, they're going to hear about it. Uh, because you are a journalist, I feel like it's important to discuss this with you. When I was doing my research, and I was on the Wikipedia page, I always look for something sort of funny to mm-hmm. reference like about the, the hometown or where you're from. One of the things it says on the Wikipedia page oh God, for Lebanon, New Hampshire, for notable people, is founder of the Latter-day Saints movement, Joseph Smith. Like the Mormon guy. Now... I did a little bit of research on this, and it doesn't say anything about it on his page. So I'm asking you, as someone who grew up there, was this a thing that people talked about, or is this a lie? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. No idea. It didn't seem like I could find anything else about it. I was so ready to talk about it, and you know, I'm like, I don't know about this. I gotta look it up. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> if anybody would know that, it'd be my little brother, because he like is fascinated by religions and pays sure. attention to them. So sure. like, if we need to phone a friend, we can be like, hey, what's up? But I have uh, no idea. So you did little, uh, little brother? Yeah. How much? I was going to ask you, were you only child growing up? What kind of family? No. Um, no. So I have an older sister. She's older three sister. years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a younger brother who's five years younger than I am. So you're a middle child. Yes, I am. Did you feel like there was a, uh, a middle child syndrome? Where you oh, for sure. Yeah. For <laughs> sure. I'm like the queen middle child, but my parents are both middle children. So it's a very interesting time. You're actually in a similar situation to me. I am the youngest brother, and then I have two older sisters. All right. I got sort of spoiled because, like, my two sisters were, I wouldn't call them trouble, but I was much less, uh, let's call it drama, growing up as a boy than my sisters That'd were be my as brother. two girls. Yeah. He's the less drama yeah. of the family. I am I am known as the drama queen of the family for some reason. Were you acting at all? Were you no. Oh, no. My sister- 
nope, not at all. <laughs> they just think that I'm dramatic. I don't know. Are you still close with uh, your brother and sister? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you guys still do like traditional family stuff together? You guys close and stuff? Do you? Um, considering I'm four hours away, although this is the closest ask, yeah, four I've hours been. Away? Yeah, this yeah. is the closest I've been in uh, like eight or ten sure. years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I talk to my brother on the phone like every day. That's cool. That's not, yeah. I, I try to talk to my He's sisters. one of the reasons I did the podcast, because oh. he's obsessed with podcasts. <laughs> oh, great. Excellent. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be on a podcast, and he was, like, super excited. Shout out to your so, brother. Right. Uh, <laughs> D- Dan's, Dan's a good kid. <laughs> uh, so you stayed in, I want to say you probably, based on my research here, you stayed in Lebanon up and through high school, at least? Yep. Uh, what kind of sort of what kind of student would you say you were in high school? Were you like a preppy kid? Were you a sports kid? Were you like uh, you know? Were you into drama club? Were you into music? Were you into art? What was your sort of uh, kind of all over? All over um, the place. I was. I'm one of those like chameleons where I kind of just like sure. you know mm-hmm. fit in kind of everywhere, but not really anywhere. That's fair. <clears throat> jack of all trades. <laughs> well, that's why I'm a journalist. <laughs> I'm master of none, but I'm definitely jack of all trades. Yeah, that's fair. That that's is good. reporting for sure. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, I sang, uh, I played the clarinet. Okay. Um, were you, I were swam. You, were you into journalism? At yes. At the time, like, did you do school newspaper? Yeah. What was your sort of thing back then? Like, what got you involved in that? Um, so, from the time I was in kindergarten, mm. I told my family I wanted to be an author. Really? And I was told, that's not a real job, you need to find a real <laughs> job, a and then you can job. write on the side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all through, like, I, I just, I loved writing, I wanted to write. Mm. Um, you know, I was, I was obsessed with, you know, that kind of stuff and I always did well in English class Mm. and, um, they got, I got to high school and my parents were like, why don't you go out for the newspaper? See what happens. Cause you like writing. (laughs) So I actually started as a photographer. Photographer. Yeah. Randomly just, that's what they had available. And I liked taking pictures at the time. So you still take pictures at all or do you do any (laughs) more? When they make us at the paper. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, and then you went to Utica College for journalism and public relations. Yep. Um, I mean, as a Utica College grad student currently and also quietly an employee over there, I know lots of folks over at Utica College, and yep. I um, I certainly have enjoyed the education that I've got there from an education standpoint. Well, it's not certainly perfect. There are some things I've changed. I want to ask you, sort of, from a journalism and public relations standpoint, how do you think your experience in terms of preparation, like how did Utica College do in terms of prepping you for like the journalism world? So I love Utica College. Sure. I learned yeah. a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found was uh, I went to college for journalism at a time where journalism was in the middle of a crisis. Oh, yeah. Sure. Because sure, the sure. internet was becoming mm-hmm. a thing. Twitter was all of a sudden this thing. That's a great point. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I started a Twitter in college because they made me. Yeah. And I was like, this is stupid. Why would I do this? And now I tweet all the time. Yeah. So, you know, I was in this influx, and you can't really teach in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. So, like, Utica College was in this position where they had to figure out how to teach their students while the world was changing. So, unfortunately, because of that, I kind of had to, like, yeah. learn on my feet really quickly because of the, the changes. Education is actually going through a similar crisis mm-hmm. now in terms of the transitional sort of period between, like, we need to make technology and, like, differentiating instruction a big part of, like, education going forward. Yep. But most of the schools can't afford to just throw uh, one-on-one laptops at every kid. It's just we're in a time... Especially where- in Utica. Well, we I work in Utica schools now, and we do the best we can to get right. kids in front of computers and get laptops and stuff That's available awesome. for them. But even that, it's just, just there's 
there's so many kids there. There's so it's impossible to get all the stuff you totally need. For. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of kids in Utica. I had yes. that was one of the things that overwhelmed me when I first came here because I was I worked for Young Scholars in oh, yeah. college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a, a tutor. I ran the homework helpline, and then I became a mentor. Oh yeah, and so you work with my good friend Linda, Linda I, Roberts, I, over at Young Scholar. Uh, yes. Um, Lynn so, Stewart. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Linda. I call her uh, Roberts. I don't know why. I, oh. I don't know why. I've done that before to her face too. I don't know why. Uh, Linda Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Great lady. So, Linda. Um, I did not realize how many kids were in the Utica school system. Oh. I mean, because my school, my graduating class was two hundred and like fifty six kids. That was it. That was all that we had. There was like, you know, that was from four towns. That I was mean, not just from Lebanon. I went to. I graduated from Proctor in two thousand and four. I want to say. Okay. And my graduation was in the Utica odd, and it was there was like six hundred kids in my graduating wow. class, and it was. Rowdy, like that was the I wildest graduation like event. Like people just losing their mind. I saw a guy take his um, shout out to my buddy Debo. I saw my buddy take <laughs> his his robe off and he had a cut off shirt underneath and he oh just flexed goodness. on stage and the crowd lost their amazing, amazing stuff. I like that sort of stuff. That did not happen. My graduation <laughs> was outside on the football field. That's cool too, though. And it was threatening to rain. Oh, that's great. But they didn't want to do it in the gym because the gym was terrible. So it was the speediest graduation <laughs> ceremony you have ever seen. Uh, so I want to get back to the journalism thing. Yes. You get college, journalism, public relations. Um, you finish up there. And then I went to your Facebook page to sort of track this. Tell me how wrong I am in this. <laughs> so this leads you on sort of a, a wild journalistic odyssey as you go to Westminster, Maryland, Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, and Alexandria, Virginia. All three of these locations, and I'm just speculating here, seem like you were probably doing politics probably everywhere here. I wasn't. Really? Yeah. I would have thought with all the D.C. and like Maryland and Virginia stuff. You would have thought, but no. <laughs> um, I actually started as a copy editor. Mm-hmm. So I was reading stories, designing pages, um, you know, just kind of learning the ropes. Sure. And that was, was at the, the Carroll County Times. That was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that was the first I interviewed for it, sure. got the job offer and said, well... Here we go. I'm moving. Sure. So moved myself down to Maryland. I stayed with a cousin that I met once. Sure. Because she happened to be in the vicinity and I was poor. So finally, like, eventually in, I actually think it was like eight years ago today, I moved into my first apartment in Maryland. Nice. Um, I saw that on Facebook. So. Um, it was good for something. So I dragged one of my best friends yeah. from, from high school down to Maryland with me, and she came and lived with me so that we could share an apartment. And so I did. I did copy editing and um, page designing for two ish years, and then they finally let me be a reporter for one day a week. Well, would you remember like your first story? What was always your first like beat? You remember? It was all of the crappy like events that nobody wanted to cover. So <laughs> they were like, it yeah. was it was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, so man. I was covering like these Russian dancers came to the high school. Mm-hmm. So I went to the Russian dancers and watched them, you know, yeah. write a feature story. Bam, done. Mm. But they were only letting me report one day a week because I didn't have experience. Mm-hmm. Um, reporting. Which is even weird. Though, How do you get more uh, experience? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I fought with that that <laughs> frustration on a regular basis, uh, and um, it unfortunately it turned out that um, the editor in charge of all of the reporters at the time told me I could interview for a job, and then decided not to interview me for the job. Yeah, oh, and okay. told me that he was going to hire somebody else. 
And then he told me that I'd probably never find a full-time reporting job at a daily newspaper. And so I told him to, you know, <laughs> stick it where the sun doesn't shine. Nice. And about three weeks later, I left. Hmm. So hmm. I went to Pennsylvania after that. And that was uh, that was Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. You were working for the Sentinel newspaper. Yes. Your, your Facebook's pretty well stocked. I gotta say, I, a lot of good. You're welcome. Not here. <laughs> Didn't seem like. Did you not stay there too? About a year. It was and about a, half, a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was doing feature reporting, mm-hmm. so I was doing like health stories and entertainment stories, and um, I was doing movie reviews, which I love. Oh, I feel like that's. Right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I go to the movies every week by myself. Smart. That was just a... just to go enjoy the movies. When I was in New York City, that was pretty common, especially in the summertime, because yep. it would be a million degrees in my apartment, and it's like, I'm going to go somewhere where I'm not going to pay for air conditioning, yeah, so no. I'm going to go to the movie theater. Yeah, just yeah. watch some crap for two hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've seen some of the most ridiculous things that I never would have seen otherwise. I just was like, hey, I want to go to the movies. Uh, so, what, uh, Why did you leave Pennsylvania? What, what sort of dragged you out of that um, new job? What sort of... I could see that they were going to downsize on reporters and like I kind of felt like things weren't going in the direction I wanted them to go. There was a couple of issues with the editor at the time who then got in trouble for sending inappropriate emails to women. Um, So I'm glad I kind of snuck out of there, but I had gotten a job offer in D.C. and I have always wanted to live in a city and... Yeah, yeah. You know, be around things happening because, you know, when you grow up in a very small town... You either want to stay there and never leave, or you want to get out and go explore everything, and I'm the explorer, so. And this is around February 2015, you go out to D.C.? Yep. So you're there, and I mean, not to get into the policy stuff right off the bat, you're there at an interesting time, sort of like the end of Obama and the beginning of the Trump era. Uh, I missed the, I got here before Trump. Before, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. So I missed that, but I did get to see my favorite hockey team, at the White House. Oh, is it the Cavs? No. <laughs> Come on, really? <laughs> Get out of here with that. Uh, Bruins, I um, assume I saw it in your site. Yeah, yeah the, the Bruins uh, had won the Stanley Cup nice. right then. Mm. And I, at, at some point, I think it was, God, it was one of the times I was down there. Sure. Uh, it might have been Maryland. But yeah. during my time in that area, I did get to go to the White House and, like, see the Bruins walk into the White House and, good. you know, almost cry and, you know, all that good stuff, so. <laughs> you know, we take uh, we take our kids down to D.C. Uh, every year mm-hmm. for, for yep. vacation stuff for, for the job I work at. And, um, you know, every year it's always intriguing. It's, it's such an interesting layout for a city. It's it's not, it's unlike any other really, like, large major city I've ever seen the way it's Same. laid out. Yep. Right? I've, I've done the New York City, Chicago thing. I haven't been out to the West Coast yet. That's coming up sooner. How about there. Baltimore? Have you been there? No. Don't. Don't. Wow. No love for Baltimore. <laughs> no. Baltimore is crazy. Like, the way it is laid out makes zero sense. That's You my, will get lost. That's almost any city in New Jersey for me. And you're, whenever I had to drive to New Jersey, mm-hmm. it was always a nightmare because the roads are totally different. You can't turn anywhere. If you miss your road, you're driving, like, 15 miles right. before you get... It's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So Virginia, you're do, you're what are you doing out there in uh, in Alexandria when you're working at the Warren Communications News? It's a very broad name. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that a great name. So this was my one time trying to get into a different kind of writing. Sure. So I was still reporting, but it was a trade publication, so it was trade all telecom. Oh, okay, interesting. And it oh, was wow. not written oh. for like you and I. It was written yeah, for the yeah, lawyers yeah. and the FCC okay. and like oh, wow. the people in that industry. Huh. And I spent about 13 months doing that and realized I hated it. Sounds kind of dry. 
It just isn't my style. <laughs> yeah. um, some of the guys that I that I know yeah. that are there are thrilled. They love it. They're having a sure. great time. Some of them are on, you know, Capitol Hill. They're at the uh, the House, the Senate. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're doing all sorts of cool stuff. Good for them. But I was covering state telecom, and it was boring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I still have like a soft spot for like the the spectrum issues we have here. And when Anthony Bernissi, you know. Gets up yeah. there and talks about you know how he wants to make sure that Spectrum is held accountable and that kind of stuff. I'm the one that that falls on because I understand it all. I, so I feel so weird with him because he's been on the show so many times and I've openly like voted for him, I supported him. Like we were also pretty openly like against Henny on this podcast at the time. <laughs> so like we had really like I pushed like all my cards on the table for him because he had been so kind to us. Right. And now I feel like now that he won, I feel like I need to back off from talking about him every week. I'm like, all right, we. I feel like I don't want to be the show that's just like we did it. Like let's talk about. Right, but like I, I, do, I do still sort of follow pretty much everything he's doing down there. He's just uh, he's sort. Of, I feel like he's sort of lost in the in how much everyone loves Alexandria Sacho Cortez. She sucks up all the headlines. Uh, well, did everybody. you did you see that when they got sworn in, he was standing like right next to her, yeah. and so he was in every single photo yeah. that like having to post like all these other like news sources. They put my, her photo, and he's there with this kid. Like, just my assumption is that just everybody <clears throat> in Washington, whenever they see her, wants to stand next to her so that they might get a photo with her. Right? Like, hey, what's going on? Oh my God, hi! Is that nice right. Let me just talk to her for a second because I'll get some public. public- so why? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a different. I, I, we'll get one more thing I want to get to before we. I want to get that's from how you got to uh, the Observer Dispatch, uh, and you come in in uh, you come in in March of 2016. What sort of brought you back to this? Did you always want to come back? Was that something that had always been in your mind, or did you not think that was going to happen? Um, I wanted to come back at some point. Sure. Because I did have I had a lot of friends mm-hmm. here. I'd done a lot of starting over. I'd done a lot of moving. Um, you know, when you're an adult and you're not living in a dorm room and you move somewhere. Yeah. It's impossible to find people to be friends with unless mm-hmm. you work with them. Yeah. And I really try not to be Very friends true. with the people I work with. It's tough because then you start, it's it's a fine line. It, it is. Right? And yeah. so I try very hard to like be careful about that. Um, but uh, things were not going well at my job in D.C. I was yeah. not very happy. The, the publication was not my style. Um, so I started looking and I just really needed to get out. Mm. And um, one of my college advisors... Uh, messaged me and said, hey, the OD is hiring. Mm. And I was like, great, help me get a job. Because, <laughs> you know, that'd be great. So what did they, what did you sort of come in when you were doing there? What was your first sort of, were you just doing like field reporting, like whatever? It was just whatever got thrown at me at the time mm-hmm. when I first started. And then um, very quickly, um, I got shifted into covering Rome and Herkimer County. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then um, people left and things got shifted around and then I was... Rome and Oneida County, and then we had, like, three reporters for a hot minute there because everybody shifted around and left, and I was covering Herkimer County, Oneida County, Rome, and New Hartford, and then we got new people, and then I was just back to, like, Rome and Oneida County, but I really didn't like covering Oneida County. There wasn't a lot happening. Like, I really needed, like, things happening, so I switched... Shout out to Greg Mason, switched yeah. with him. <laughs> he took the county. I took his state and federal politics coverage because sure. I was loving. Like, half the time I was stealing his stories anyways because they were yeah. fun. Um, <laughs> and they were interesting and they were contentious and it was, yeah. you know, getting a lot of views and I was getting to make a difference and in informing voters because mm-hmm. that's important to me as a politics reporter. You know, I strive to give rep- give all of the people in the area the information they need to make yeah. the decision to vote. So, can I ask you a question about that before we yeah. go too far? Because we've talked a lot about the journalistic uh, person, about liking to write and like to be involved in stories and things yep. you like. 
But when did you sort of, when did your sort of political activeness sort of awaken? Did that happen when you were younger too? Did that sort uh, of come through the course of journalism? So <clears throat> I'd say it probably started when I was young because mm-hmm. my mother um, actually had Hillary Clinton come to our hometown sure. to visit <laughs> yeah, yeah, my, yeah. my sister's okay. Girl Scout troop. <laughs> really? Wow. Yes. That's pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hill. <laughs> a lot from her. <laughs> that perseverance and yeah, yeah. that, you know, I'm going to do this, watch, mm. comes from her. Sure. Um, so she somehow managed to convince Hillary Clinton to come to wow. Lebanon, New Hampshire, yeah. small little town. <laughs> and she sat there. I got to ask the first question. I huh. don't remember what it was because I was like six. <laughs> but like... <laughs> So my sister got to sit next to her and I was mad. And I think that's the reason that they let me ask the first question. (laughs) That's much better. Like when I was a kid, the first celebrity I think I ever met was professional wrestler The Undertaker, which is not the same. That's still a legit celebrity. (laughs) I also remember when I was a kid uh, when Hillary came to the Marlog in Utica. Interesting. Yeah, it was during. It was either during uh, when Cl- when had Bill to was... have been a, a re yeah yeah for Bill right. But I remember like I was like the wow the Marlog that's the one they the one, of all the places like this was a long enough time ago where like I don't think that Utica's restaurant scene was exactly the same as it right, is right. It's now. a little bit better now. It's like um, hey the Marlog that seems like the number like that's the first place you think I'm not crapping on the Marlog they're good it's just it's not right. the first place I right that's not the first place Bill I would have a political rally of yeah, sorts exactly but yeah I started early just being like paying attention yeah. um because New Hampshire is one of those battleground yeah. states we saw a lot of politicians come to our area so like I got to meet and talk to John McCain when he was running mm-hmm. have a conversation with him I had like my little that notebook been, out yeah. like a little journalism nerd <laughs> writing writing down notes about what he said <clears throat> I don't like to I don't want to get into a whole conversation about Trump and we're going to sort of talk about politics without getting into uh, the Trump things. I don't think it's super important to discuss everything about him. But I do want to ask your opinion, because you've been doing journalism long enough, we're all over the place. Was there a time when it felt like suddenly people were much more interested in politi- in political writing? I feel like it did sort of happen, right? Like, yeah. And I sort of struggle with turning in my early 30s and being like, am I just more interested in politics now? And maybe people were always talking about politics like this, and I just didn't care. Or does it seem like there's many more people interested now than there was 10 years ago? I think that there's there's a little bit of more interest there, but also at the same time, I think that there's just more access also. Yeah, sure. So you don't have to pick up the New York Times to get your national yeah. um, you know, politics story. Sure. You can go online, find a story, read it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's right there. So the access thing is huge. With the internet and, you know, the ability to, you know, click on something on Facebook or Twitter and whatever. But I also think that because things are so dramatic Mm. and people love drama, that they're paying more attention to it. I think we have to signify that, or at least be aware in general, that the people who are on social media and Twitter and Facebook and all these things who are really actively, like, one way or the other on something Mm -hmm. are not the majority of people for the most part. Right? Like I, I I think that we tend to conflate what we see on social not we, I mean the royal we. Like right. we, we tend to as Collective, a society collectively collective like collectively. <laughs> we like we see these these like loudest people on both sides and we're like, oh that's how everyone and I don't know if that's necessarily the case. It's hard to show like what the right. consensus for everyone is, I think. We just these people on social media are such loud outliers, I think people get drawn to it one way or the other. That is right? true. So, I mean, I I see, yeah. we have, you know, commenters that, you know, comment on our Facebook page. I have the, if I send out mm. a tweet about something that's politically, you know, yeah, yeah. 
it, in the politics sphere at all, even, you know, if it's just Anthony Bernissi introduced his first bill on the oh, floor, yeah. like, I've done that, and people just, you know, comment like crazy, and they, you know, they they throw it out there, and there's, there's always your positives, and there's always your negatives, but I don't think the majority of people are that focused on things. I think it's just the loud mouths on social media. I thought one of the most interesting things to happen to the show last year was uh, we had uh, we had Larry Sharp come in. I interviewed Larry All Sharp. Right. And it was actually one of our... Uh, Very part, interesting guy. It was one of our highest listened to episodes, right? Because I, I don't know what it is. His particular fan base and group of people who support him are very active on social media. They and are. even to this day, yep. anything that happens with him, I'm getting tagged and stuff still to this day. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen to me as much. With Brindisi, I got a lot of the very much like, oh, like you're obviously a show for Brindisi. And I was like, well, I mean, I've been, you, he's been on four a... times. I'm not pretending I'm not. Right. Right? You're like, not I... saying you're unbiased. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Like, I'm pretty you're openly about it. You're not me saying it. like I cover everybody evenly. You're mm-hmm. like, listen, I support this person. There's a reason that none of these, <clears> like, oh, the, none of the journalistic places are calling me for, uh, <laughs> for like, right. folks anything right what does podcast guy have to say about this <laughs> i don't know listen to his show you don't have to ask us here right um i would say though like i i do wonder though do you feel like there is more of a chance that you're gonna get like hostile reach out from people now than there was before i feel like that's more common now people are much more willing to reach out and say something hurtful now. yes i've gotten during the election especially yeah. there was a lot of attacks that i got both mm. on social media and in person yeah um you know the People who thought that I was campaigning for Anthony Bernissi when, yeah. you know, I'm mm-hmm. just trying to provide facts, uh, they would very often, yeah. um, you know, send out messages on Twitter, um, you know, send out messages on Facebook, uh, you know, attack in person. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've gotten screamed at so many times, it doesn't even phase me anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, almost, you almost can't let it, though. That's sort of part, no. of, the, that's part of the job in a weird it way. It is. It's having that thick skin. That and... hate mail thing is just, yeah. it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You just, I honestly, my favorite response, if somebody's going to email me and they're going to tell me, you know, you did a terrible job on this, you're mm-hmm. stupid, like, you know. How can you do this? You're such an idiot. You know, the, yeah. the typical emails that I get, my first response is, well, thank you for reading. Because, you know what? You still read the article, so thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate say, it. I have to say, uh, I actually very much enjoy your uh, Twitter stream in particular. I think you've done a nice job of sort of uh, towing that fine line between using it to share stories and using it for sort of on the ground, um, like being there, sort of tweets and stuff. Thank you. Do you feel like that... Do, I, this show in general, and I tend to slag on social media a lot, but I'm also on the side where we promote the show on social media. I right. also like. I always think it's important too. Like, it is sort of a time where you do have to have, at least in your profession, some ability to use social media to your advantage, if nothing else, than to share your content. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I mean, for me, I was a little slow to embrace Twitter. Yeah. Um, it's I, tough. I, it's not easy. I wasn't. I don't know. I just didn't see the point of it because. Like, it just seems stupid. But now, um, you know, I try my best to mm-hmm. put out stories that I've written. Um, you know, it's it's all about tagging the right people and, you know, hashtagging yeah. the right thing to get people to see it. But for the most part, my, my effort is to, you know, if I'm at an event and I think people are going to be interested in what's being said, like the legislative breakfast I went to sure. yeah, a couple yeah. weeks ago, mm-hmm. you know, tweet from, you know, every single person's comments and, you know... Mm. That way, people have that information, and it can hold them over until I write a story. Because, you know, it takes a little bit of time to write a story. So, you know, I try very hard to kind of 
make sure people have that information and then also, you know, put my stories out there to get more views because that's how you get your name recognition out there. Uh, this is more of a broad question, I suppose, but I'm always curious about this kind of thing. Were there any particular, like, journalists or publications that left a particular impact on you growing up? Were there, like, writers you looked at and you're like, that's who I, like, want to be like, this person in particular? So, no particular writers in general, but mm-hmm. I do remember for the longest time, I always said I was going to be the editor of the New York Times. New York because, Times, yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> it's the New York Times. I wanted to be host of SNL, which is not too disorder. <laughs> Big, giant institution. Right. I mean, so, that both cool things. Both cool things, both sure. hard to um, accomplish. Very hard to accomplish. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, for me, it was, you know, that's the paper to be a part of. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, it's the New York Times. That's what you want to, you know, strive for. Well, the failing New York Times. I'm sorry, the failing New York Times. Um, You know, (laughs) that is the paper that I pay for a subscription to. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I read their their stories Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, You know, as a kid, I was told by numerous teachers that, you know, you should read the New York Times because it'll improve your vocabulary. Yeah. And it'll help you write better. And so I've Mm -hmm. been reading the New York Times ever since. Well, it's interesting because I almost I wanted to bring this up to you too. Over the last couple of days, last week or so, there's been this huge sort of like uh, discussion about huge media layoffs, talking like BuzzFeed, uh, yeah, Huffington Post, uh, yeah, Gannett, uh, like Vice a couple of weeks ago also just released a big part of their mm-hmm. staff. Do you ever? I mean, in your opinion, like you know, you're working in a place. You know, Odie's been around for such a long time, but like, do you wonder sometimes looking around just at the vast variety of content? Are we in a period where we're overextending, like, how much content there is out there? I don't know about that per se. Yeah. But I would say that um, the news organizations that have figured out how to be online. Sure. um, And how to balance, you know, making money with providing information. Those Mm -hmm. are the ones you're going to see surviving. Yeah. So the New York Times is not failing. I know. The I New know. York Times. Of course, they're not. They're right. one of the most like, right. respected journalistic like organizations. Right. So in the country. you're not going to see them. Right. You know, disappear. Sure. Um, they have a legacy behind them as well that stands up behind it too. You know what I mean? And there's a lot right. of places that closed that did as well, but I I would have a hard time seeing. I, I cannot see them, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, or the Boston Washington Globe Post, going yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Those are the newspapers mm-hmm. that I mean I have read, you know, forever, and those are the newspapers yeah. that have that legacy they've got that you know thing that made them who they are mm-hmm. you know we've had movies about some of them recently yeah yeah um, for sure you know the, they knew sorry I like, <laughs> it's the post that's a good one i lent that movie to my sister and i need it back <laughs> i just i love Ruffalo i need to, and everything. Need to get it back um so yeah i mean i i think that you're gonna see unfortunately more layoffs in the field yeah. because most publications have not figured out how to monetize the online uh, versions of their paper enough to survive. One of the things I'm, uh, I really like, I know they were a controversial uh, site for a while too. I used to be a big reader of the original Gawker when Gawker was uh, a yes. thing. And I know that like, I, I understand that they were doing stuff that wasn't great, but they're rebranding. I don't know if Gawker's coming back now, hmm. but it's like on a totally different like side of Interesting. Like, the political spectrum. Okay. Read up some of that after, we, we won't talk about it here, but look that up after we're done. It's really interesting what they're trying to revamp Gawker, I'm very concerned about it. Um, that is an interesting thing I'll have to look up. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah I mean, so basically my, I, I could talk for like hours on this issue yeah, because yeah. it's it's something that I get so frustrated mm-hmm. with because nobody has the answer, but we all know there needs to be an answer. Yeah. So, I mean, d- moving forward, 
you got to figure out how to get people to pay for content when you guys didn't get people to pay for content from the start, and that's the issue. People you know, want things to, to be free. I've talked to a lot of people about this in the past. Actually, even I think I've talked to Carrie about this, Carrie mm-hmm. Bostic, in the past as well. There's like two schools of thought. You have something like, um, like in sports, there's like the Athletic, right, which is the the journal sports website, basically where you have to pay to get in off the bat, and right on, and it, they're trying to suck in writers from other places and right. all that kind of thing, but. It's hard to immediately put a paywall up and expect to grow your audience in any substantial way. You have to assume that you're doing such good work, such so much better work than somebody else that people mm-hmm. will pay you sight unseen, assuming it will be better. I don't think that's a realistic model, in, in, for a lot of companies at least. Right, right. for the majority, yeah, for the majority of them, of I, companies, I don't right, see right. that being a thing. I didn't bet an eyelash to pay for the New York Times. No, because, no. Because, you know, it's, it's the New York Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, other than that, uh, I don't have any online subscriptions because, yeah. eh, you know, I hear you. I mean, the Washington Post is getting there. Like, I'm, I'm probably going to have to get them, too, because they only let you have the that. three articles, and I read them all the time. So <laughs> I do that thing where I use all my different laptops and devices to use my three articles yep. in different places. Yep. I know. Done that. It's like sharing your Netflix password. Everyone does it. No one should. I know. Whatever. Right. And fine. so as a journalist, I feel like a jackass because I don't, like... <laughs> Like, I, I'm paying just for the New York Times, and I'm like, wow, I get mad at people for being like, oh, content should be free, but then I'm doing the same thing, so, you know. Uh, I got a question for you about uh, national politics, and I'll, only, I'll leave it at one, because I'm curious about it for you. <laughs> uh, so earlier this, uh, it was last week, uh, by this by, by the time people hear this, uh, Cory Booker joined the list of Democrats uh, announcing they were running for 2020, along with... Uh, uh, Kamala Harris, whose name I always say incorrectly. Kamala. Uh, I always say I Kamala, yeah. yeah. Kamala. Uh, uh, Kristen, uh, Kristen Gillibrand, uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Marianne Williamson. Is there any concern? I'm a, I'm a Democrat on my voting uh, on my voting okay. sheet, right? So I vote in the primaries. And even I'm sort of concerned. Do you feel like that the there's a little bit of a too-many-cook situation that the amount of people who are coming out is going to dilute the race in a certain way? Yeah, and I don't think it's going to stop. I think we're going to no. get... We're, we're going to see people. a lot more people. I don't think that they're all going to eventually make it on the primary ticket. No. Because, you know, think about the Republicans in the last race. Yeah. You know, in 2016, we had... About 37,000 Republicans trying right. for president, exactly. and eventually they just kind of like, you know, fall off the the list. And as we've seen in the past, the more people who come out, you obviously end up with the best possible candidate if you put in all the people. Right. <laughs> I mean, somewhere you're going to find someone, right? Uh, no, I think with, um, with the, the Democrats, I think what's concerning for me as a Democrat on my side is I see all the people who are coming out, and I don't see a ton of consensus about what Democrats want as the identity of their party going forward. If you right. look at, like, you look at somebody like um, like Howard Schultz or whatever, right, and he's, mm-hmm. like, going out here talking about centrist Democrats, and he's getting booed, and he's curious why, because it seems like some people on one side are totally out of touch with people on the other side want. And it concerns me as a Democrat going forward, because in my weird conspiracy-brained mind, I feel like there's a split coming somewhere in the middle, like, between those who want more centrist policies right. and those who want to be more progressive. I think you're going to see that on both sides because I, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. We've already sort of had that happen in the past with the Tea Party. Yeah, um, but I think you're going to see on both sides the either people need to figure out what their party is, or they're going to finally figure out that two parties is not the way to go. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> I mean, it's only taken us like 200 plus years to figure that out, but maybe we'll get there. I mean, Washington said no political parties. He was very much against right. it. We and didn't then, listen to George. We didn't listen. I to... mean, we haven't listened to any of the founding no. fathers at this point. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're gonna see. A, I think you're gonna see probably 
at least three or four more Democrats put their hats in the ring. Yeah. Um, I I think that's that's a problem. There's too many people. Um, it kind of just spreads out the vote yeah. too much. If yeah. you if you if you are a Democrat who is looking to have a chance against winning against Trump in yeah. 2020, then you're going to want to see a smaller playing field because yeah. that's not going to spread out you, the votes. If you're a Democrat, you want to see people coalesce around one particular person. I right, think, and I think and if you're think no a one... Republican, you're not sure if you want Trump to run again because he's starting to lose support from his party in a lot of ways. Yeah. But they I, also... I, you know what's weird? I, I don't, don't know if they know who else to run. I so. openly... I, so I, I certainly openly don't like him. I've said it a billion times on the show before. And I, it, that's just me saying it. But I wonder... Uh, every time people say, like, oh, his... The, the ratings are going down, the ratings are going down. I don't trust it to stay that way. He, for all the things that people say that are wrong, he's got a weird ability to just continue on. Like, he's got a weird lack of, like, self-consciousness or self-awareness that allows yeah. him to just, like, plow headlong through and do his own thing. I, yeah, I he's don't... kind of, I feel like he's made out of Teflon. Like, nothing sticks to him, nothing stays. Teflon's on, they can't stop. Uh, uh, right? Like, <laughs> he just, it's, it's amazing. So because in the in the history of this country... If anybody on either side had done yeah. or said or threatened some of the things that have been ha- happening in the last three, two, whatever amount yeah. of years it's yeah. been. Um, <laughs> Feels longer than <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> Time is relative. Um, but, you know, if anybody had done any of those things, just historically, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously I'm, I try and be as unbiased as possible on both no, sides I... because, you know, politics. But, you know, in general, I... It feels they like would have been gone. No, it feels like uh, it, it feels like that's the case. Right. Like, I, I mean, like if I always, you can even go back just as far as Obama, right? right. And the way that people oh, reacted to some of the stuff, yeah. that, you know, it was going on with him. I think he would have been dragged out of office if some of the stuff that he uh, Trump did was done under him. He almost got dragged out of office just because people didn't believe that he was born in this country. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So yeah. I mean. Yeah. There are things that have happened that, you know, you just look at history and you're like, how is this happening? Like, what what is going on that, know. you know, things just don't stick? As a, as a future, as a grad school, current grad school, future <laughs> history teacher in public schools. That's going to be interesting. I am very curious about what teaching history about the next, like, 10, 20 years is going to be like. I'm right. so curious. As a matter of fact, even in, I, this is a little bit of an offshoot. While I'm in school to learn history, like history major stuff, mm-hmm. one of the things they sort of talk about is this shift of the history teacher from teaching history to sort of teaching current, like, social, like, skills in terms of political awareness. and right. act, Not activism necessarily, but keeping kids in touch with, like, current politics and the current news in a way that engages them in, like, current society. A lot of my kids don't pay attention to politics or <clears throat> news at all, even though they're probably old enough to where they should be. Interesting. I mean, so that's a good thing because I felt like, um, you know, the, the history teachers I had growing up spent so much time focusing on, you know, the past and not how it relates to the to our current time and future because, yeah, you know, you, you have to obviously study history. That's a big deal. Yeah. But you got to relate it to something that makes sense to the students so that they understand what they're studying and why they're studying it. I've done so, observations in the classroom over yeah. the last few years and uh, it's... I feel like we spend 70% of our time in history classes talking about World War II. Like, why are we talking right? about World War II right? so much? Can we oh talk? Oh, my goodness. Like, oh, least, my God. Well, you know what so I, much. You know what I realized? I'm not saying it's not important. And it's it's like one I, of the cli- like the cinematic, climactic moments <clears> of world <throat> history. But still, 
there are other things. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of other stuff. Um, So I realized in all my moving around to different states, um, history is taught in different ways in different places. Oh my god! And so you don't see that until you actually Mm. look at the the way that students are taught. But I would go, (laughs) you know, when I lived in Maryland, yeah, they focus on. God, what was it? They focused on like this this one act in history that happened up the street from where sure. I was living. It's called Corbett's Charge. Corbett's Charge. Nobody's ever heard of it I'll if they don't live up. in Maryland. It's like the Battle so, of Shroot Farms a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is, but sure. That's from the office. So, all right. Okay, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Um, That's for all the office fans out there. I'm um, sorry. There are a lot of them. I'm There's like the, the... You don't watch the office? I have tried. It's just not my style. Did you start from the beginning? Yes. That's probably the problem. Um, first six, I'll, I'll that, say it, we'll move past it. Okay. First six episodes are not good. Start from season two. That's all. All right. All right, we'll that move on. <laughs> I did watch a couple of the first yeah. few episodes and was like, man, this is awful. I'm good. Can I ask you one local politics question? Yeah. Because I've already kept you far longer than I told you I was going eh. to give you. I don't um, have to work till four, so you got time. You were uh, you were at the announcement uh, when my good friend, uh, longtime guest of the podcast, Joe Marino, announced that he yep. was running for mayor. I would say, even though he would never say it on the show, it was the least surprising surprise announcement of all time for me. I felt like I felt like it was coming, even mm-hmm. though he never directly outright would tell me. Um, how did you feel? Like, uh, did people seem? Did people respond favorably when Joe was out there? Joe seems like he's done a really nice job of connecting with people in terms of like being visual in the community. So I've only taken over Utica politics mm-hmm. d- stuff, you know, yeah, for yeah. this mayoral race yeah. just a little bit ago. I've only sure. just dipped my toe into, you know, mm-hmm. covering the Utica stuff. But I've, I've been around, looked at stuff, you know, seen what's happening. Um, I was unsurprised, and I haven't even been covering it that long. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think that um, the response of the people who were there yeah, yeah. was very positive. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a lot of people attack me on Twitter, so I think we might be okay on that. I'm not sure. He actually <clears throat> does a pretty good job of being active on Twitter mm-hmm. as an independent like politician locally. He's right. also done a pretty good job over the years of being pretty. Uh, I wouldn't call him like ahead of the curve. He's not like a, you know, he's not a prodigy. <laughs> he's good though. And he's competent. Right. He uses it actively enough where he does a pretty good job engaging with people, even when they're negative on there. So. That, I think that'll be in his favor, at least to a certain extent, going forward. Right. I, I have no idea what to expect. I don't no, even know who the players are going to be in this race. Yeah. I could tell you about Rome because I got Rome covered. But, <laughs> you know, that's because I've been covering it for three years. So, um, If people want to reach out to you, Sam, they can get at you on Twitter at OD underscore uh, Madison. Yep. Uh, that also links to your uh, your email pages. People send you tips on there. Is that your tips page? Uh, it links to my OD email account, yeah. but, you know, the... The amount of people who send me, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. tips, tips is, is very small. Um, you know, I love the like weird like serial killer style like <laughs> notes that you get in the mail with oh, no address returned, like, cool. no no name signed, just you know really randomly scrawled out. Like you should look into this. Like those are fun. Um, <laughs> that seems highly unsettling. I have to say, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> So uh, thank you again for joining us here today. Uh, I have a couple quick lightning round questions right. for you. These are the same six lightning round questions we ask everybody who's been on the show. Uh, and we'll start with this one, Samantha Madison, uh, state and federal politics reporter for the Observer Dispatch. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Uh, I drink espresso. Espresso? Yes. Oh, I used to have you. about four or five shots of espresso every day. Um, 
But now I've moved on to uh, try not to kill my stomach as bad, so I drink lattes. I'm actually starting to get burned out on how much coffee I drink. My stomach is starting to rebel against me. I, I had to quit yeah. coffee for a while and drink energy drinks, <laughs> which yes. isn't much better. I'm, I was a big, I'm a big Coca-Cola freak. I love a, like a Coca-Cola okay. or Dr. Pepper. It's like my biggest vice in life. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty bad. Right. But, uh, I... Coffee was supposed to be my replacement for that to get the caffeine, but I also then I'll start drinking coffee like eight o'clock at night and then I'm up until real late and that's See, no good even if I like I could drink a monster and yeah, take yeah. a nap. It's not good. Yeah. Um during the during the campaign for Congress yeah, yeah. when I was just all over the place covering mm-hmm. everything. Everybody just knew to expect me to walk in with a monster in my hand and my aviator sunglasses on. Like everybody knew that was how that was my main mode of transportation. <laughs> Speaking of your main mode of transportation, what was your very first automobile? Um, it was a purpley pink uh, Chevy Cavalier. Ooh, a Chevy Cavalier. 1995. Nice. 95. I think yep. I remember what those look like. Those are like sort of the short, sort of... Yeah. They, they, they were kind it wasn't of cool boxy. Looking. Yeah, yeah. Because that was earlier. Small, though. I feel like they're hard to get into. It was a two-door car, I believe. Yep. I don't cool. remember exactly. Yeah, yeah. It might have been my second Cavalier that I had. Either way, it was very small. Uh, I know a couple of people uh, who had who had those. Shout out to my friend Sam, uh, my friend, uh, my other friend Sam, <laughs> who had a Cavalier growing up. Sam Versa slash Mott is her last name now. But okay. Yeah, shout out to her. Also had a Cavalier. I remember those cars. I had two of them. Yeah, two of them. <laughs> Double down. Them. I had a Dodge Neon, which is kind of like a Cavalier. Yeah, pretty one. much. Yep. You may or may not have taken your '95 uh, Chevy Cavalier to see it, but what was your first live music event? Um, so I saw the monkeys. Hey, the monkeys. Live in Boston. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> on the Esplanade. That's good. The Esplanade. The we Esplanade. Have the Sopranos. <laughs> uh, what it's called? The, uh, I'm trying to think, like, that must have been, they must have been late era. Like, they were just playing the hits back then with the monkeys? Um, yeah, so Boston has these free concerts every oh, okay. summer. The nice. oldies station puts them nice. on. And, um, they were playing and my dad was, you know, took my sister and I. He was like, do you want to go? And we were like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be, and why? This one is so difficult. <laughs> this one throws people off in such a weird way because some people, when I prep them for it, they go, that wasn't hard at all. Like, I think it's a, some people just have answers People to this. think yeah. about this stuff all the time. Yeah, some and people I, think about this. I, I don't, don't yeah. because they're dead, like, you know, whatever. Um, it doesn't have to be a dead person. I know, but, like, if I'm going to have dinner with anybody, I'm going to pick someone who's dead because there's That's no true. chance of ever having dinner with them before, That's a great so... Point. Um, probably, uh, somebody like Susan B. Anthony, um, mm-hmm. or Elizabeth Cady Stanton, just yeah. because I look up to their yeah, ability yeah. to stand strong in the face of such ridiculous things. Yeah. You know, like they, they stood up for what they believed in. They mm-hmm. were, you know, strong female warriors, basically, mm-hmm. who, you know, I would love to just pick their brain and talk about, you know, what they experienced. We did, uh, I did a history assignment for one of my, uh, college level classes where you had to do a presentation one of it was on uh the the one i was doing was the effects of uh african americans native americans and women in the revolutionary war we did like a fold okay. out uh, we did like a fold out thing all the pictures of the and i can't remember the name now because i'm totally spacing out but there was a, a woman in the revolutionary war who pretended to be a man she did like the mulan trick so right. she could join the military it's pretty wild but there were some really cool stories and there those are. sort of things 
stick with kids and get them excited about like history and those like that. So right. I like those sort of deep history people for that question. Yeah. Um, I'm going directly from your Twitter for this. Uh-oh. On your Twitter, you call yourself a movie or music fanatic, quote unquote. Uh, so give me one book, album, movie, or show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Um, so I am currently re-watching Veronica Mars for like the Veronica 12th Mark. time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am obsessed and mad that there's not more seasons. She is so good on The Good Place, which is she a show is. that everyone's addicted to yep. now suddenly. Um, I didn't really know much about Veronica Mars, except that she was the... Is she... She's Veronica she Mars? She is yes, Veronica there you Mars, go. Yeah. yeah. That's all I really um, know about it. Have you seen it? I'm vaguely familiar with the okay. concept of it in the it's, same way that I'm... I, I'm familiar with most of those WB-ish, CW type shows right. from back in the day. It wasn't it wasn't the WB though, right? It was like UPN or something. It was a uh, so weird it, channel. It was. It was a weird yeah. channel. So I never watched it growing up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When I was reviewing movies in Pennsylvania, the movie was coming out. That's that, right. That yeah, fan yeah. movie yes, that like you know everybody funded that. and you know that was coming out. And so um, between my editor and I, she and I were reviewing all the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Veronica Mars was not coming out in a theater near us. No. And so. <laughs> I drove like an hour and a half to go review it at like midnight <laughs> on the day that the night it came out so that it could be online <laughs> for all those people who didn't make it to the yeah. like first showing of it. <laughs> so I binge watched all three seasons <laughs> before the movie so I could be like, okay, I know the show now. I can be that person who can review the movie. And it was insanity. <laughs> When I was, uh, one of my, my dirty secrets I talk about in the show, I used to work for... It's the, not a dirty secret if you tell everybody about I it. I used to work for the WBU-11, which was oh, wow. the, the, when, now I guess it's the CW up here, but mm-hmm. like, they, they used to record out of where the KTV station is, and same okay. kind of thing, right? And I used to go up, I used to do commercials for them, and when the first Scooby-Doo movie came oh, out, geez. they did a promotion, like, locally, they're like, oh, we're gonna put this movie on at, like, a local theater before it comes out, and they did it at... The Valley Cinema in Little Falls, like that little tiny theater, right? Okay. So my guy was the cameraman and producer at the time. I was the closest person doing WB stuff in terms of location at the last minute. They call me. They make me drive up to Little Falls. And I'm like, I'm going to be out in front with a microphone be like, hey, we're here for the premiere of the live action (laughs) Scooby-Doo movie, right? And now I got to stand out here and like all these people and I'm talking to people. I'm like, so who's your favorite Scooby-Doo character? And they're like, Scrappy. I'm like, uh. Cool. I used it. it. was one of the worst. Like, I felt so bad. No one had seen the movie. It was all, like, right. old folks and, like, little kids, and no one wanted to talk, and I just had to, like, I just had to, like, stumble my way through. Oh, my like, goodness. Just, like, like, I was, like, making all sorts of, like, veiled, like, jokes that they couldn't use. I was like, that Scooby-Doo movie smells like hot in here. They're like, you can't say that. I'm like, all right. Never, all right, never, right fine. Everyone is hot. Yeah. It <laughs> smells like a Snoop Dogg concert. Yeah. WBU 11. They're like, nope, can't use that cut. I'm like, ah, all right. Oh, fine. What am I saying? Smells like B.O. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about um, when I used to work for television stuff is I wish that you were, I wish that instead of the stuff they actually release, you could release the blooper reels for the stuff that they can't show, because those right. are always worth great content. Right. I've got a couple uh, of friends who work on the, the TV stations yeah, yeah. around here, and I love when they send me their, like, outtake bloopers, <laughs> yes. because it's like them just swearing. Like, they're just like, what just, I don't know what happened. All right, here we go. There's a couple. It's my favorite. There's some Maiden You Do Good blooper reels from our various videos over the years that mm-hmm. are, they're pretty, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. I'm uh, sure they are. Sam, I've kept you here for a very long time. I'll give you one last question All before right. we go out. Uh, besides uh, Veronica Mars' journalism, <laughs> uh, politics, uh, give me one more thing that you are passionate about. 
Oh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, so it's kind of along the same way as, you know, Veronica Mars, but I'm a, a very big, like, gangster rap fan. Gangster rap? <laughs> Who's your gangster rapper of choice? Tech Nine. Tech Nine! Oh! I, uh, I was more into, like, uh, I was talking, someone put up a thing on Twitter a couple days ago, it's like, name your perfect album you could listen to, like, front to back, and I, I think I said, like, Liquid Swords by Jizza, which is not really gangster. Like he was in the Wu Tang Clan. I guess that's gangster. I rap. guess I would call that gangster. I, rap. <laughs> I always think it's. I, and I don't know if it's hangover from growing up in like a big city public school, but mm-hmm. I people always find it weird that like mustache glasses, white bread looking guy like me is like, yeah, gangster rap, like hip hop. I get the same thing. I feel. I was gonna say you probably get that little white girl from New Hampshire <laughs> listening to Tech Nine. Like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, listen, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, people can follow you on Twitter at uh, OD underscore uh, Madison. Uh, I want to thank you for doing such great work and keeping up on politics and local news. I respect uh, journalism, and uh, I'm glad that you were coming in and share with us today, and I'm sure that everyone will appreciate spending the time. So thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you. That's a real pleasure. Folks, we'll be back to the show in just a moment. We have a nice little feedback loop on Twitter where I get to talk to her about politics stuff, so that's nice. Thanks for spending time talking to us today. All right, history lessons. I know you're not surprised they're coming, but you're always disappointed. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's get them out of the way. I actually tried to underline stuff this week to make no this highlighter? a little more... No, I couldn't find a highlight. Oh are you kidding me? I know. Uh, all right, so on this day, 1789, the first U.S. Electoral College chose George Washington as president and John Adams as the vice president. Uh, In the absence of political parties, there was no formal nomination process at the time. The framers of the Constitution had presumed that Washington would be the first president, and there was no opposition to him since George Washington was widely seen as, quote, essential to the successful operation of the new government. That dude right there. That dude right there. Uh, Less certain was the choice for vice president, uh, which contained no definite job descriptor in the Constitution. Uh, although the job title had come with being vice president, was the head of the Senate, unrelated to the executive branch. So it was different initially. Uh, voter turnout was predictably low in this first election. Uh, only uh, 1.8 to 6% of the population participated. This was not due to general lack of interest, but general lack of voting status. Uh, the most common form of determining eligibility at this time was something called the 40-pound rule. Uh, It was a common English practice that required voters to own 40 pounds worth of land or receive 5% return on their own land to be eligible to vote. Uh So the voting population was very much like white and wealthy and landowners pretty much at this time. So there you go. First first election. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On this day, 1997, O.J. Simpson was found liable in the death of Ron Goldman and Nicole Simpson in a civil court action. Uh, This was following... The, uh, the acquittal of criminal charges uh, that the uh, Ron Goldman... Fa- uh, it was after the acquittal of criminal charges that Ron Goldman's family filed a civil lawsuit against O.J. Simpson. Uh, he was unanimously found uh, liable for the wrongful death and battery against Goldman and against uh, Brown. He was ordered to pay $33.5 million in damages on the civil suit. 
I feel like the O.J. Simpson case is, like, the ultimate American crime story in a weird way. It has, like, a little bit of everything. It's, like, a celebrity, and there's, like, some mystery to it, and there's controversy, and it's become, like, almost like a weird American myth in a strange way. It's crazy that... I feel like this is, like, the preeminent, like, American crime story. It would be, like, the ones in history books. That yeah, this about. is, like... I feel like it's it's weird. It's just a strange story, and it seems like we've... We're just infinitely fascinated by it as, like, a culture. About OJ, I don't, I don't understand. Are him. we still? I mean, they just made two giant are. like TV series about him in the last three years that were huge deals, like a documentary and a. Because it was yeah, twenty year anniversary, they make a twenty year anniversary doc for almost anything. Yeah, I suppose. I wonder if it still holds up the same way, or if it wasn't that it was a bigger deal because at the time there was less uh, content to consume because it was very much the first of its kind. Yeah, I'm you know still what I mean? Maybe and I with still the ubiquity of cable television and all that different stuff and court TV and the role they played. Well, I think a big part of it too, and we've talked about this in the past, is it was like cutting to his car, the Fort, the Bronco chase, was one of the first times that as a nation we like watched something like this happen collectively too. Mm-hmm. I think that that's always an important part of the story too. Right. But I think that's I'll never part forget of, it. <laughs> that's part of what makes it sort of the the ultimate like American modern crime story. I guess I guess modern American crime story would have been a better uh, quantifier. All right, moving on on this day, nineteen seventy two. Senator Strom Thurmond suggested that uh, Beatles superstar John Lennon should be deported from the United States. About three years earlier, uh, about three months earlier, pardon me, uh, Yoko Ono and John Lennon had moved to New York City, and almost immediately they'd gotten involved with the radical leaders of the Youth International Party. Uh, uh, Yoko and John had marched in support of Native American rights, they met with the Black Panthers, and they wrote columns for leftist magazines. Uh, this brought them into the uh, the glare of then-director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover. Um, in March of 19... I'm sorry, uh, in 1972, Lennon's visa was revoked and his deportation proceedings were filed uh, based on a marijuana conviction in England in 1968. That was the official reason, at least. A memo was written to the then-Attorney General by Republican uh, Senator Strom Thurmond suggesting that if Lem- uh, John Lennon's visa was terminated, it would be a strategic countermeasure... Uh, this was because J. Edgar Hoover believed that John Lennon was planning to disrupt the 1972 Republican convention by staging a number of get-out-the-vote concerts. I think it's crazy how scared people were of his of John Lennon's ability to like move people's opinions about something. Uh, it's really crazy to think that John Lennon was held in that much esteem. Like, you know, even, you know, 1972, that's probably the height of John Lennon's powers, too, as a superstar. Especially something without Twitter or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, like, know? in a time before <laughs> social media, like, somebody who was just ubiquitously, like, maybe the most powerful, influential, like, musician in the world. I yeah, they still don't want anybody voting. <laughs> it's, it's in one. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to this one. This is a really boring one. Uh, on this on this year, on this day, 1991, the U.S. postage stamps went up from 25 cents to 29 cents. Do you guys know what a postage stamp is right now? 47 cents. 47 cents. Oh, where have I been? This is the last time I bought a stamp was when it was 33 cents, apparently. Uh, It did get up to 49 cents in 2016, which was the highest it ever was. However, in April 26, it went from 49 cents to 47 cents, marking only the first, only the third time in history and the first time in 97 years that the price of a postage stamp decreased. I feel like in the modern era, with like so much like communication done without like modern mail that stamp prices would have dropped way lower but i guess maybe that's kind of you have to raise them to help well, make the counterintuitive. counterintuitive yeah the post service isn't doing good right now anyway so i'd have to do my research no. i can't imagine it is oh i'm ready i'm ready you oh you're ready yeah, yeah. yeah i got i have a lot of my family members my dad worked for the postal service for a long time as a maintenance supervisor i have a couple different aunts and uncles that have been carriers 
worked in varying degrees. Um, the reason the postal service struggles right now, well, a lot of people put it up to automation, digital stuff like that, companies mm-hmm. from FedEx and UPS. There is a lot of that there. Um, but the the Republican Congress uh, years ago, uh, maybe like six, eight years ago, sometime they passed a law basically saying that the Postal Service, before they fund anything else, has to fund their pensions for every employee for the next something mm-hmm. wild, like 80, 90 years out. And this was a move done to try to squeeze them out and kill the post office because the Republicans would like to see the post office be killed so that all of that services can be privatized and sold off and done with private companies hmm. like FedEx and UPS and stuff like that. So it's no longer a federal thing that we have as a people, but they privatize and sell off right. different departments of basically public works huh. to a degree so that they can squeeze out and make money from it. Because then once they kill the post office, we have no other options. Then all of a sudden, UPS, FedEx are going to get a lot more expensive. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Shady. See? So read about it. <laughs> read about it. And anybody who, anytime you hear somebody automatically like, oh, postal service, they can't run it, they're falling apart, that's somebody who hasn't mm-hmm. done any research on it. That's somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. It's a very easy way to tell. Same people who say that we got to get rid of teachers' unions. Those people also don't know what they're talking about. True story. Uh, all right, let's move on to this last piece of news here. On this day, 2004, Mark Zuckerberg launches Facebook from his Harvard dormitory room. I feel like in this time, there's always a new story every day about Facebook in the news. Uh, do you know what Facebook's original name was when it was developed in 2003? Face Mash was the name of it. Face Mash. Face Mash, M-A-S-H. Uh, developed by Mark Zuckerberg, he wrote the software for FaceMash uh, when he was in his second year of college. It was basically set up as a hot or not style website for Harvard students I specifically. Uh, I remember Facebook most specifically from when it expanded out. It initially was only at Ivy League institutions. Uh, Stanford, Columbia, Yale were the first expansions in 2014 after it was originally a Harvard thing. Uh, it gradually reached most universities in the United States and Canada. It was incorporated in 2004. At this time, it was still called The Facebook. They didn't drop the The until 2005. Uh, in 2005, at that point in time, Facebook had 6 million users. Today, in 2019, do you guys want to guess what the number of face- active Facebook users is today? 1.6 billion. Wow, that's a lot. I wouldn't have any idea. 1.74, but yes, that's remarkably close. 1.74 billion people. It's insane. It really is stunning to think that in it's. I mean, it's 50 in 15 years. Basically, they've gained 1.7 billion people. That's wild, wild. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's it's not surprising that there's all these articles coming out now about what Facebook's done and like whether they're like a morally justified or bankrupt company. I think to get to this many people in that amount of time, they almost had to be doing all sorts of crazy stuff, I think, to get to 1.74 billion Everybody people. Everybody always wants 50... to talk about themselves. Yeah. There has a way to do it. All right, so there you go. Moving on from history lessons. That wasn't so bad today, right? That wasn't so painful. I also don't, I don't have a ton of crazy stories here. So uh, here's some stories. We'll go as long as we can on these, and then I guess we'll... I got a fun little game for us to play about. It's vaguely, vaguely related to the Super Bowl, but really, really subtly. Did you guys see uh, Ariana Grande is in the news this week for a new tattoo she got? Jesus. Yeah, she didn't finish it or something. No, no, no. So she has a new song that's out that's very popular. It's called Seven Rings. I haven't really heard it, but it's a very popular song. So she got the name of the song tattooed on her wrist in Japanese uh, kanji symbols. Turns out that she actually got the wrong thing tattooed in her arm. It doesn't say Seven Rings. It's Japanese for some sort of uh, barbecue-style device. So she got the words, like, Japanese barbecue tattooed on her arm. Uh, Update recently. 
Updated recently, she fixed the tattoo, but I think that's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Although I would say, if I found out that my tattoo that I got in a different Just language said that. Japanese barbecue, I might still actually keep that tattoo. <laughs> that's pretty. That's that's not on the the uh, the hard end of things it could say on there incorrectly on your arm. Uh, speaking of which, her ex is also in the news. Her former ex, P. Davidson, is now dating Kate Beckinsale. I don't know what's with this guy. He's getting all the beautiful women. What? I yeah. know. I would never have How about that. it? Kate Beckinsale's like in her 50s. Yeah, he's out that's there. That's an incredible come up. Have you <laughs> that's seen, a, that's a complete have you seen Kate Beckinsale? She's beautiful. It's unbelievable. She's stunning. She's gorgeous. Um, but her, there's a couple of them. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, listen, when you're rich, it's easier. Yeah, but. When you're born a certain way, it's a certain thing. But you look at people like her. Naomi Watts. You look at, you know, a lot of these like women, like in their mid 50s at first glance. It's just wild. Stunning. And then, Pete, Pete Davidson. Davidson. He's like a kid. Yeah, like, no. He's so I wonder what, she was, what she's thinking. I just wonder how <laughs> this happens. Are you, that, I'm just, so curious. Because that's like, that That would be his mom's age. Yeah. Easily. Is he just the most charming guy in real life of all time? Who knows? Maybe she just likes weed. He seems like he's a big weed guy. Maybe Kate Beckinsale like just loves to smoke to with He's like he a puppy. Really like, <laughs> it's true. Can't be the only no. That can't be the only he's thing. He's like a puppy. You like want to take care of him almost. That's like I look at him. As a woman, I look at him like that. Like... You kind of yeah, feel bad it. for him, and you want to take care of him. Uh, and she's maybe. like fifty, and she's in that uh, motherly kind of. That's maybe he's got that hammer. Uh, that's that's all a rumor right. that's around on the internet. Actually, that's a rumor that's out on the internet. All right, guys, I got to talk to you about a television show that's coming out this year. There's all sorts of wild television shows. I can't believe this exists. CBS is reporting. Uh, this is from Entertainment Weekly that CBS recently ordered a detective show pilot simply called Frankenstein. The CBS drama does not focus on Dr. Frankenstein necessarily. Instead, it follows a San Francisco detective who is killed on the job and resurrected by the doctor to go back and find out who killed him, I suppose. That's going to be a no from me. No. Oh, chance. Uh, so you guys I'm are not terrible. into uh, into stuff like that. Makes me believe that I could get something greenlit and just get that payday. <laughs> Let me just get that payday. Uh, I'll tell you one good thing that is greenlit that I found out today. We, I've been calling for it for years. Uh, CBS, in another good announcement, announced that they are adapting Stephen King's The Stand for their CBS All Access Network. It can't be worse than the one they did in the in the late '80s, early '90s, whatever it was. It's possible. Um, uh, that's, that's very concerning to me. Really? That CBS is doing it. They're yeah. doing the Twilight Zone thing, though, too, though. Yeah, so. that's also concerning. That's also going to be garbage because CBS is involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. CBS got terrible programming, terrible production value. I can't think of anything I watch on Bad CBS. Bad news. What I need, I need the stand. It's a great point. What do you, what watch, do you on watch on CBS? Nothing. CBS is for old folks. Yeah. Big Bang Theory. Yeah. That's a good you point. know what I mean? Like, hmm. No, I, the stand, I would feel much happier if the stand Same. was going to be... Hulu, Netflix, yeah. HBO, yeah. especially Netflix. Like that, okay. you know. it would be- it's fair. I'm trying to be optimistic. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'll watch it. Any any yeah. content related to like the stand, anything like that, I'll watch. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I'm not even really optimistic. Uh, I got two uh, sort of uh, tangential stories here. I'm going to call this news from the end times. Uh, this is from NPR from earlier this week. Massive starfish die-off is tied to global warming, apparently. That's right. All the starfish are dying. It's sort of like the bees. When the starfish go and the bees go, the it's trouble reef. for us. Yeah, coral reefs. Uh, since 2013, star, uh, sea stars uh, have been dying at an uh, increasing rate. This is the next sign of the apocalypse. And also this week on our End Times result, in 2019, mind you, this is this is current. Washington, uh, Washington has declared a public health emergency 
over measles. Oh, I've been and all that's, over that. Oh, you've been on this? Oh, yeah, you're on the. You're my you're my one like vaccine person. I can always feel like you read a story if it's about anti-vaccine. And it's in New York now too. They just put New York State um, just health department just put something out. I can't believe that we're getting back like diseases from like the Depression era. Like, I feel like it's crazy. I'm arguing they... with moms all the time. My my favorite one I saw on Reddit was somebody posting about this. Like, someone posted about measles on their feed, and they were like, "What's the big deal? It's just a rash." It's no, like, it's "What? Not. No, it's it not." Do more in the... Fools. And my Fools. Has, my son is only one of the two shots right now. He doesn't get the next one until he's like four. Mm. So if he caught it, he he could catch it. Measles, by the way, is so contagious. It's one of the only diseases that uh, someone can cough in a room and leave. And if you're unvaccinated, hours later, you can yeah, still two, catch the virus from droplets in the air. Two there, hours. There are very few other diseases in the, the world reason, that are like that. Yeah. yeah. The reason, like, all these the anti, anti-vax lunatics and, like, all these, a lot of these other different awful things that are happening, um... A lot of the reason this stuff happens is because people have forgotten. Yeah. There's nobody alive who remembers how horrible this shit was before Mm -hmm. we had, like, vaccines and different technologies and different things like that. Um, And and people have just forgotten what it's like to actually struggle as Americans. Not that uh, there aren't Americans who struggle and not to, you know, disparage anybody's problems or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but... People have forgotten just how horrible it can be. Yeah, and um, it's true. History shows, unfortunately, that when that happens, the generations forget what it's like and forget how scary war and disease and famine and stuff are. Mm. They will be um, heavily. They will be reminded. Yeah, and that's you know. Stories yeah. from the end times. Yeah, it's coming. Story, news from the end times. Uh, so let's close on something a little lighter this week. Again, like I mentioned, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we are going to a party after this uh, for our friend Mark for his birthday. Again, happy birthday, Mark. A lot of folks will be going to Super Bowl-related parties this uh, tonight after uh, as the Super Bowl begins in a couple hours. One of the things you can ubiquitously see at all Super Bowl parties is dips. Delicious dips for chips and snacks. So I went on the internet onto foodnetwork.com and I found Food Network's definitive list of party dips ranked from 10 to 1. We're going to run through the party dips and we'll give some impressions on what they got. Are you ready for the party dip ranking? I love dips. All right, number 10, black bean salad, which is not a dip. I don't know why this is on here. I feel like if I saw some black bean salad at a party, I would not be dipping my chips into it. Uh, So I'm going to move on to the next one because I feel like that one is crummy. Uh, How about lemony? How about hummus? Is hummus a dip? I mean, it's a dip. Yeah, of course. I feel like that's not a traditional party dip here. I think it's like cheesy, like spicy. Oh, we're getting to that one. Oh, hang on a second. I lost the... I lost my... My website. Lost your article. I'm all banged up. I know, it's terrible. Ruined his whole flow. No, it like... did that thing. Which one? It basically did that thing. Did that thing where I hit the wrong button and it goes away. It did that thing where I hit the wrong button and it goes away. I can't find it now. Uh, God damn it. It's very annoying to me. I have to tell you the truth. Uh, At the end of the day, number one was buffalo chicken dip. That's the new number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Salsa was at five, if I remember correctly, which I feel like is basically the, just the standard. Like you see salsa at a table and you go... Yeah, okay. it's always in a little bowl, too. It's always a little bowl. A little bowl salsa. I'm never excited about salsa. You know what was high on the list that I, I like was I like a nice homemade salsa. If you go to somebody's house and somebody made a salsa, mm-hmm. me I'm much more excited about that than I am just like some... Like a mango salsa or something different. One of the things sure. that was really high on the list as well uh, was 
Um, oh my god, uh, spinach artichoke dip. Oh, yeah. which seems to be, be like that number one two. There's like two or three, if I remember correctly. Or like a taco dip, like a five layer taco dip. That, has yeah, to be that's a that was low on the list, actually. I feel like those. I, that's the one I always make. That's my. I like those, but I feel like there's a really high level of variance with like a seven layer dip or something. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it makes yeah. it. Because sometimes agree. my dad will get the one from like. Uh, what do you call it? from Aldi in the plastic <laughs> container and thinks that that's the same thing? I'm no, like, nah, that's no way no, no no. I'm a big fan of uh, like a dill dip that you oh, put inside a big bowl yeah, of rye bread bowl. with like the bread around the mm. rye bread around it. Yeah. The dill. Shout out to my dad. That's a classic. Uh, that's a classic Salvatore Famolaro like snack. Is is the the dill dip? Yeah, yeah. Did I? Is it back? Okay, I found the rest of it. Here you go. You ready for it? Here's no, the ones we talked about all the dips. Yeah, here's the ones we missed. Let's read them off. Here's the ones we missed. Uh, we missed white bean dip. That was number eight. Number seven was French onion dip. Oh, yeah, classic. Uh, number six was double chili queso dip, like a white-style queso dip. Oh, yeah, yummy. chili and cheese. Yum, yum, yum. Tough to go wrong. Uh, five was salsa. Four was six layers in, like, seven-layer burrito dip, whatever. Uh, three was the spinach artichoke dip. Two was guacamole. Oh, That's yeah, guacamole. People love the guac. Yeah. And then number one was buffalo chicken dip. Can I say one thing about buffalo chicken dip? No. Sometimes you go to a party and people make that, and it's got that layer of like oil sitting on the top, oh. and it does not always look super appealing. If you're hosting a Super Bowl party and you're listening to this <coughs> days after the Super Bowl, yeah, days after, yeah, and you hosted a Super Bowl party by the time you listen to this, and you as the host had buffalo chicken dip out, it's your job. To go around every once in a while and give it a little stir. Yeah, give it a stir. Give a little yeah. stir, mix it back. Stir it I get you're enjoying your guests and you've done so much hard work. And we appreciate you inviting us to your party, but just make sure you stir your dips. That's your job. Don't use canned If you're hosting the party. Chicken, uh, you don't. I you're right. I have a friend who uses canned. Every, I won't eat it. I'm with you. I mean, listen. Just you, make it. Just make it. You can it. eat it and stack it. Or you know what you can do? <laughs> Honestly, even if you don't make the chicken... Go to the grocery store and buy one of those. A rotisserie chicken. Go get one of those. Chop that up. Get that in there. You know what I mean? Then you get like some chicken chunks too, which is nice instead of like shredded where it's like chicken wing dip in name only. It's like a hot sauce cream cheese dip. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you once again to Sam Madison for joining us this week. Great interview. Uh, no blue cheese crumbles. No don't blue put cheese crumbles. Put them on the side. Do something. Don't mix them in. Yeah. Some people don't want the crumbles. <laughs> follow Heather on Twitter. Heather Wazwood. Follow Kevin underscore Kevin Sullivan. You also uh, shouldn't put celery in the dip. Ew, who puts celery? Don't put celery, don't put celery in, in the dip. What? People do. Do you, uh, oh, do you guys want to give me a quick Super Bowl score prediction? Do you have any guess okay. what you think it'll be just for fun? We'll see who wins, who's closest mm. next week. 32-24. 32 24 who? Rams. Rams. Yep. All right, Kevin, what do you think? 27-13 Patriots. 27-13 Patriots. I say 34-24 Patriots. That's my oh. score. Uh, again, follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're taking over the web. We will be back next week. Sign on. Keep it tight. And, uh, yeah, Sunday. Sunday podcast. Great. Peace. Thank you.